Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode 100. I was going to get a party horn and blow that party horn for effect, but hey, it's another episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. It's episode 100. Maybe I'll do it when we get to episode 500. I think that's party horn worthy. So not that this is a small affair or a small feat getting to episode 100. And to prove that, we are doing something a little bit different today because Cameron had the idea about a month ago that when we got to episode 100, we would do a show where he would interview me. So I thought it might be something fun and something different. So I've got Cameron on the line with me tonight. Cameron, how are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. And I know where you are, but probably no one listening does. So where are you? I'm just hanging out in my house that I moved in this year for senior year of college and just hanging out here talking to you. Just got done eating some delicious Mexican food, so I'm feeling good right All now. All right. Good. To, yeah, temporarily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Uh huh. That's what I had for lunch today was Mexican, so. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Probably one of my favorite food groups, I have to say. Is it really? Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yep. Well, very cool. So. You had this idea of interviewing me for the show, and you felt like some people may find that interesting, which I'm questioning that a little bit, but I thought, you know what, it'll be fun anyway. So maybe during this interview, I can provide something to some of the listeners that will be of value. Yes, sir. So, well, I just figured you've had 100 episodes of interviewing everyone else. And we've gotten to see some insight into your opinions and how you would approach things. But overall, we haven't gotten to hear you do, say, rapid-fire Q&A, so we don't know about you in that way. And we also just don't know how exactly you would handle the situation. So I thought, hey, it's time to put you on the stand after 100 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if I like this idea a whole lot. You know, the, those are my questions. So if I can't get the fastest time how bad is that going to be i mean you you have the edge here so i'm I'm expecting great things on the rapid fire q a for sure 
Well, you know, I may have the edge because I wrote the questions, but I'm not so sure that I've ever even really looked at it like, okay, what's my answer? Because yeah. I'm typically asking the question and moving on to the next one, and I never really have looked at it like, okay, well, what's my answer to that? But yeah, yeah, you know, some of them are trying to fire them all. That's right. Some of them are pretty easy. I think just standard stuff that that uh, won't be too bad. But I know what they are, so we're going to keep time. If I do break the record, then <laughs> it will just be for posterity's sake. We're not going to make a note of it. Um, okay. Yeah. It'll be on the. It, it'll be on the show, but. You know, uh, again, I didn't blow a party horn for episode 100. If I beat the fastest time, I will not blow a party horn for myself. <laughs> there you go. It, it'll just be the secret of uh, the spectacular episode 100 for those that listen to this show. There you go. There you go. Well, you're in charge of this thing, but whenever you want to rock and roll with it, let's do it. All right. Well, so you always ask people, are you comfortable doing this and are are you ready? I am extremely uncomfortable doing it, and I am ready. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And and just uh, on the honor system, I do not have the list of questions in front of me right now. So uh, I'm ready when you are. That's a good thing to disclose there, and I will start the clock when I end the first question, correct? Got to ask you because you're the master at this. Well, actually, you start the clock as soon as you start the first question. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. And uh, we'll get going on this. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. How many full-body turkey mounts do you own? Four. How many turkeys did you kill last year? Four. Diaphragm, fox, pot and peg, or wing bone? Pot and peg. Wild turkey, grilled, baked, or fried? Grilled. Wild turkey, on the rocks, neat, on the rocks. with soda? Oh, yeah. Number of grand slams? Uh, three. The make of your yeah, shotgun. Browning. Make of your favorite shotgun shell. Winchester. Have you ever killed a bearded hen? No. Have you ever killed a Jake? Yes. Ten minute successful hunt on a two year old bird or a four hour long hunt on a four year old bird? Oh, I'll take the ten minute hunt over a miss any day. Favorite camo pattern? Mossy oak. Wild turkey leg. For dinner or for the dogs? Dinner. More or less than five strikers in your turkey vest? More. State you killed your last bird in? Alabama. State you killed your first turkey in? Alabama. 30 mile per hour winds blowing at home the last day of turkey season. Are you hunting or sleeping in? Hunting. Sit in a blind for four hours and squeeze the trigger or run and gun for one hour and not shoot? Run and gun. Rios or Osceola's? Osceola. Osceola's or Eastern? (sighs) Easterns. Easterns or Merriams? Merriams. Public land out west or private land in the southeast? Oh, public land out west. Two and three quarter, three or three and a half inch shells? Three and a half. Four, five, six, or blended shot? Six. Field turkeys or woods turkeys? Woods turkeys. Pump or automatic? Automatic. Shotgun scope, rifle sight, holographic sight, or bead? Rifle sights. Rubber boots, leather boots, or snake boots? Rubber boots. You roost a bird this afternoon, and it's pouring rain at daylight. Do you hunt? Absolutely. Your favorite place ever to hunt? Oh, crap. 
Florida. All right. That's, that's time. You got three minutes, 23 seconds. That's pretty poor. Hey, I, I, <laughs> I think you thought through your answers very well, and you had a lot of thought behind them. That's all that matters, right? Well, you know, now that I've gone through this, I do realize that it's much more difficult being the person who's questioned than being the person who's asking the questions. And yeah. I probably probably could have blurted out an answer, but I don't know that it'd been the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's very you true. Know, it sounds crazy to say, but so my the favorite place I've ever hunted will I can count the number of places on one hand that I just had a fantastic time at and would go back again, not just because of the hunt being successful, but because of everything, the people that were there, the landscape, the turkeys, the food, you know, it's this whole experience. And so that was a tough question. Mm -hmm. And Florida is the right answer, but I'll tell you, it's a frog's hair above my trip to Kansas and Oklahoma, mm -hmm. a frog's hair above my trip to North Dakota and South Dakota. It's a frog's hair above a couple of other trips. So that the questions are tough when, when you're on that side of it. So I have a lot more respect for the people that blow through those like it's nobody's business. Absolutely. Well, now you know what it's like to be on the hot seat. Yeah, I do. So I want to redo. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, maybe for episode 200, we'll do it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that'll give me some time to practice. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. But anyway, the the main reason I wanted to interview you for this week's show is first I wanted to talk to you about your podcast that you created and ask you a couple questions about that. And then also I just have some common questions that I kind of wrote up that I thought most turkey hunters needed to know or information they could glean from you. And so I, I wanted to start by talking about your podcast and then I'm going to go into turkey hunting questions, you know, stuff about what you do and okay. maybe even scenarios. So does that all sound good to you? Absolutely. Awesome. So the the first question I had for you today is, you know, what what was your motivation for starting this podcast when you did 100 episodes ago? Yeah, that's a really good question, and I get asked that a good bit. You know, it really all kind of stems from my looking back, my reflecting on when I first started turkey hunting. And we turkey hunters, I'm going to go ahead and say it, are worse than fishermen about lying. And to get a straight answer from an old timer who's a turkey hunter is really hard. And, you know, since my dad didn't turkey hunt, he was always working in the spring. I learned how to hunt pretty much everything else from him. And none of my uncles hunted. None of my older brothers turkey hunted. They all worked as well in the spring. We all worked in the springtime when we were growing up. We didn't we didn't get out in the woods and enjoy hunting. And so here I am in college with way more free time on my hands than I really needed, looking for something to do in the spring. And 
one of my buddies, one of my hunting buddies said, let's go turkey hunting. And so, you know, we set out the next day on a turkey hunt and neither he nor I really had a clue what we were doing. He had been maybe once or twice before me. And we didn't have any success that day, but we did hear a turkey gobble a few times and which to me was was a success. But, you know, I kept I went back a few more times, went back a few more times and then what really got me hooked in the on the sport was calling in and killing my my first bird myself. And from there, it was just a matter of trying to get my hands on as much information about the sport as I could. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, I'm going to show my age, but this is about the time the Internet was invented by Al Gore. So <laughs> there was not much information online about turkey hunting. There were a few turkey hunting videos out there, VHS videos, by the way, and those were somewhat helpful, but there's not really any way for me to learn how to turkey hunt without having a mentor. And so everything that I learned, I learned the hard way from the turkeys. And I, over the course of the years, after I got better and better at it, I would have people ask me about turkey hunting and they would say, well, I tried it and I'm not any good at it. Or I tried it and I don't know what I'm doing, so I quit. So what I was hearing over and over was, a story of these people who were going out and hunting turkeys and not having success and giving up on the sport. And I know that not everyone is as stubborn as I am and will continue to hunt when they're not successful. You know, there's a million things that beg for our time and those things will get priority over hunting if you're not having success when you go out in the woods to hunt. And so I wanted this podcast to be a source of information on turkeys and turkey hunting that would be able to keep hunters interested in the sport. And hopefully, you know, maybe in some small way, it'll help the sport to survive into future generations because we're losing them to video games. And that's no surprise that for anyone to, this listening to this to hear that, but I really feel like a turkey hunt or even just a walk in the woods in the spring is enough to get a kid away from video games mm-hmm. and get them interested and keep them interested in the outdoors. And so, you know, if you can combine that little walk in the woods with some gobbling turkeys, then all that's going to do is be the icing on the cake. So that's really why I started the podcast. I'd been interested in podcasting for a little while, even though I'd really not even listened to all that many of them. But it just was an opportunity for me to get out there and share some of my knowledge on the sport and get some people on the show who were much more knowledgeable than I am that I felt like could help me learn as well. So Yeah, that's great. Uh, that That's really good. And I, I know... You've talked. You've talked about how you didn't really have a mentor before, and so I assume that that could have been a, a big reasoning behind it is that you know you didn't have that, and you don't want somebody else to have to go through having to get taught by the turkeys and quit the sport because of that. So they have this option to listen to your podcast and hear from some of the biggest names in the industry 
and glean information straight from the podcast. I've, I've learned so much already just from, you know, working on these podcasts that I can tell yeah. if you listen in regularly, you're, you're going to get a lot of information about turkeys. Right. Yeah. It's been a good experience doing the show. And I think podcasting is a great medium to distribute the information because we can get it on the go. You know, we mm-hmm. don't have to be tied to a device with our eyeballs on something to read or to watch a video. It's all audio. We can get it on the go and continue doing our thing. And so I think the podcasting platform is a great platform, not just to discuss turkeys, but to discuss anything and everything. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with that. Well, anyway, so the the next thing I wrote down, that kind of leads into this. So you started the podcast and you've done 100 episodes. Have you had, like, what has been the most rewarding part of this podcast? Has somebody said something to you or uh, just from this podcast, what what has rewarded you the most out of it? The most rewarding thing for me is when I get photos of hunters who have harvested their first bird and they attribute their success to the show. Mm-hmm. And not just the people who've killed their first turkey can attribute success of that hunt to the show, but you know maybe somebody has killed their sixth bird or seventh bird. Anytime I have someone send me a picture, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at Facebook right now, Bo Johnson sent a picture of him with a turkey that he shot. This was in 2015 when he sent me this, and he says, bag this gobbler in southeast Nebraska yesterday afternoon, my biggest yet. And, you know, it's a picture of him smiling real big behind this huge Nebraska turkey. And, you know, getting these pictures from people and hearing their stories has been awesome. And that really is a driver for me to keep going and keep doing this. You know, I've got a, here's one from Ryan Mason. He sent me this. And let's see, he sent me this in 2014. And it's a photo of him with a great big old Eastern, you know, smiling, some huge hooks on this bird. So things like that, I mean, that's, to me, that's the whole reason I'm doing this. And when someone sends me a photo and says, hey, you know, this show helped me out or this episode of the show helped me out i mean that to me is everything so that absolutely is the most rewarding part of the show yeah that's awesome that's bound to be pretty fulfilling when you get a picture like that and somebody can tell you you know like this tip from your show or i listened to this episode and it helped me so much and i used like this tactic that i learned about on your show in order to kill this turkey and that's got to be pretty fulfilling and you also get to see that you're continuing the sport because, I mean, I've I've looked on the Facebook page myself and there's a lot of young hunters on there who are still, you know, very young hunting. And who knows if they may not have gleaned all this information from you or other sources, they might have quit the sport. And that's the only way the sport's going to continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Absolutely. So my last question on the podcast is, do you have any future plans for the podcast or, you know, future topics that you might cover soon that you could uh, let listeners have a little idea into, or is it all got to be secret? (laughs) (laughs) 
Not everything is a secret, but I do have some thoughts that I'm mulling around in my bald head about plans for the future of the show. And I don't want to throw anything out there yet, but when that time comes around, I will be asking for input from some of the listeners because the way I feel is ultimately this is their show. Mm-hmm. I am hosting it. I am, well, let me step back because I'm not giving you any credit. You and I are producing it. And so my name's on it. Our work is going into it. But it is the listener's show. If I'm making a show that is garbage, I don't expect anyone to listen to it. And I don't want to go through the effort of having of, of putting a show yeah. out there that's garbage and not have people listening to it and enjoying it and getting something out of it. So I will be asking for input from listeners when I get ready to roll out something new and exciting for the show. But as far as upcoming topics, I have been trying for about, I don't know, four to six weeks to get someone to come on the show who can share some science behind a turkey's eyesight. Mm. You know, I have people tell me that, well, turkeys don't really see better than us. They just see movement better than us, or they do see better than us, but their vision is not magnified. Then some people say, well, their vision is magnified. It's about eight times as strong as a human being. Well, it may be that I'm having a hard time getting someone to come on the show to cover this topic because no one really knows. Yeah. I would imagine if you asked a turkey, how much better do you see than I see, you're not going to get an answer because he (laughs) still can't see the way that we can see. But, you know, I just, I don't think that biologically there's a huge difference between a domestic and a wild turkey and surely someone has done studies to be able to tell exactly what is in a domestic turkey's eyeball or a wild turkey's eyeball that Mm -hmm. and how those things within that eyeball relate to the way they see things but i'm working on that i may never get that done hopefully i will I also want to do some more of those dissecting calls episodes. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoy those, and, you know, I I love turkey calls. So, you know, to get someone on the show that loves turkey calls and makes them mm-hmm. and hear about what they put into them, and you get to hear the time and the effort and the energy and – the care that they put into making these calls just so you and I can go out there and use them and call a turkey in, you know, that's always fun getting those people who are passionate about their hobby on the show. And they can always provide us the average hunter with some good insight as to how to pick the right call. So Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of a sneak peek as to what's coming up. Okay. Awesome. That sounds like we got a lot to look forward to then. I like both those topics you just said. The eyesight one sounds like that could be very interesting if we can find somebody that will do that show for us interview-wise. And yeah, uh, now so, that paper, I may turn you loose and let that be your next research paper. <laughs> there you go. I'll, uh, 
I don't know if I'll have time to do a research paper on it, but uh, I can help out with it if need be. Uh, uh, but I'll anyway, see you back work now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just slowly creeping out of there. But so that that's the all, all the questions I have for you about the podcast, and I want to move into more questions about turkey hunting. And I'm still relatively new to the sport, honestly. You know, I probably started when I was. 14, 15, got really into it once I could actually drive at 16 and take myself. And I still have a lot of questions and I face a lot of scenarios that I still, I don't know how to handle things. And I know other people have these same issues. And so I just made some more questions that I thought I I could ask you because you've talked to a bunch of different people who know a lot about turkey hunting and you've hunted a lot yourself. And you learned everything on your own, which is a great way to learn. So I feel like you could give some insight on these topics that could really help me and hopefully some listeners. And so first, I just wanted to ask you, how many wild turkeys do you think, you know, just estimate, do you think you've killed? I'm going to say just shy of 100. Okay. You know, I've got, you've seen my trophy room. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's my paradise right there. That's what my goal is. <laughs> so you've seen my pieces of barn wood where I have the nails in it and the spurs and beards mm-hmm. hanging off of that. And I don't know exactly, but there's about, I think there's about between 70 and 80 there. And then I've got some that I've not put up yet. And mm-hmm. I've got, well, I've got some that I haven't put up because I haven't just taken the time to put the beard in a shotgun shell and tie the mm-hmm. rope around the legs and hang them up. But I've also run out of board space after this year. So that's a good problem. <laughs> I just have to go grab some yeah. more barn wood from the hunting camp and get me a new board made up and find a vacant wall in my house where I can put another board with some turkey beards and feet. <laughs> There you go. You yeah. might have to ask the wife about that one also. Yeah. You know, she's really good to me and lets me display all of my trophies and, and she loves <laughs> them as well. So, you know, that that's good for me. But every so often I get that question of, can we hang a picture on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just look at her and say, we don't have room for a picture. we got animals everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you so, you really do. It is a spectacle, and as I said, that's that's the goal for me one day is to have that lining my rooms in my house. Yeah, well, I'm sure for her, the goal would be for me to have a trophy room like my dad has, and has pretty much all of his animals hanging in, so that she can have some wall space to do a little decorating. But mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see that that would involve moving, and I'm not excited about that. Yeah. Well, so next I was wondering, you know, that was just kind of a question I I was wondering about is how, you know, how experienced you are and how many turkeys you've actually killed. And that that's very impressive to kill a hundred turkeys. Is, is I mean, that's unbelievable. That's a lot of turkeys. And, well, and, you know, like you, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but like you, you know, I get as much pleasure out of calling one in for someone or being part of a successful hunt with someone else who squeezes mm-hmm. the trigger as I do when yeah. I squeeze the trigger. So, you know, this year I had the 
pleasure of watching 10 successful turkey hunts or being a part of 10 hunts where turkeys died. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't count those when counting a total, even though someone says to me, how many turkeys did you kill this year? The answer is four. But really, you know, if I was staying within the law, or I should say if I was not staying within the law, I could say 10. Yeah. If I hunted by myself and I was not staying within the law, I killed 10 turkeys because I would have. Absolutely. Anyway, go ahead. It's just as rewarding when you can call a turkey like that up. And I've done that with uh, a couple of my friends. And my my only stipulation when I do that, as long as somebody, you know, I'm a good buddy with a tell them if if I call a turkey up, I get to keep one spur. And that's not so much for the trophy as it is when I see that spur, you know, displayed, I think, oh, wow, that's when I called that turkey up for, you know, this guy. And yeah. uh, so I always tell them they have to give me one spur and they can choose which one it is just in case he has a broken one or something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just like to, when I look at my, I, I look at my collection of, you know, I, not, not quite as vast as yours, but when I do, I can, I can still remember almost every story behind every beard and set of spurs that I have. And uh, yeah. when I, I, I have a couple of those single spurs where I've, you know, been hunting with a buddy and called them up a turkey and, those are just as special to me because, I mean, that when you're both running up there and hugging and high-fiving about how you, you know, stand over this beautiful bird and everything, it, that's a pretty special moment. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. Absolutely. So let's uh, let's act like it. it's about to be opening day of turkey season. Tomorrow is opening day, I wish. And I'm assuming, actually, we'll say a week ahead of time because I'm assuming you at least pack a week ahead of time. What are you putting into your turkey vest? Can you, can you just walk me through what exactly is in your turkey vest? Mine's usually prepared like a month before the season because I'm so fired up. But Mine is never emptied. <laughs> I'm always ready to go, ready <laughs> to go at a moment's notice. So, yeah, that that's another good question. And I think that new turkey hunters can probably learn something from the answer to that question. So things that I have, pot and peg calls, and I will tell you that I've got all of them, glass, aluminum, slate, ceramic, uh, I mean, you name it, I've got it. I don't have all of those in my vest at any one given time, but I've got them. So typically I'll rotate those calls out throughout the season because I don't necessarily want to go in and hunt the same bird and sound like the same hen every single day for the whole entire season, even though usually I'm not hunting the same bird the entire season. But I like to mix the calls up so that I'm, I sound differently when I go out into the woods. So pot and peg calls and strikers, of course, either a Brillo pad or something to rough that call up with a little bit. Chalk. box call. I've got hand pruners so I can trim branches off of trees that I'm going to sit against or trees in front of me that may be obstructing movement of my gun or me being able to see an approaching turkey, whatever it may be that I need those clippers for. Those things are awfully handy. I have box calls. I have crow calls. I have shotgun shells because I have been known to miss a turkey and I've 
got to have backups because I've been known to miss a turkey not one time, not two times, and not three times, but four times. And it's not any fun when it's 7.30 in the morning and you shot out of shotgun shells and you have to go back to the truck to get more or you realize you don't have any more in the truck and you have to go home. I don't know that I'll ever be good enough to kill a turkey with a rock. So <laughs> I carry lots of shotgun shells. Now, I don't keep this in my vest. I keep this on my body, but it's very important. And I know some people who hunt that do keep this in their vest, but that's binoculars. Mm-hmm. If I can help it, I don't leave home without them. So that's another important tool. You know, you can't go in the woods without TP. So I've <laughs> I had always a got a, that was going to be a part in the vest. <laughs> I've always got to roll a TP in the vest. You know, so I've rarely. In the vest. <laughs> yes, it's in a yes in a bag that keeps it dry because you know I'll be out there when it's raining. So uh, yeah, I don't want a wad of wet toilet paper in the back of my vest. Yeah. But that is an essential hunting tool. I rarely use a decoy. And so if you catch me with a decoy in my vest, it likely is mid-season or late season where there's not a lot of activity going on. And I'm going to go out knowing that there's a real good chance I'm going to find a tree to park underneath and get me a nap. I mean, wait out a turkey. So occasionally I'll have a decoy and a stake with me. I keep rubber bands in my vest because I can use them to quieten my box call. And also Mm. if I happen to break one of the rubber bands on my box call, I've got backups. Mm. That's pretty much it. You know, as far as essentials. And now with the shotgun shells, I always keep a couple of birdshot loads with me and mm-hmm. a couple of buckshot loads with me as well. Now, I'm admitting this on podcasts that's going to air. I don't know if buckshot is legal everywhere, and it may not be legal in Alabama, but I'm going to take my chances on being able to kill a hog with a load of number four buck. Yeah. And if that means that I get a ticket one day, then I'll pay the fine and move on. I have zero intentions of ever even trying to shoot a turkey with buckshot. So uh, I doubt that I will not carry buckshot with me. Mm -hmm. And again, probably not a good thing to be saying on the show that, you know, what I'm doing is probably not legal, but I know what my intentions are and they are not ill towards a wild turkey. They are ill towards a wild hog. I will promise you that. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, I I use the bird shot for raccoons and snakes. Yep. So. Yep. Awesome. Well, like, all right. When you when you're sitting down and you have your turkey vest there, what is typical? I mean, this may change situationally, but just on on most occasions, what's the first call you're going to pull out? What's your favorite call to start the morning off with? The first call I'm going to pull out is pot and peg and typically I will pull out a slate call and most of my slates are slate over glass Mm -hmm. and I'm going to start out quiet and work up in volume 
and if that slate does not work, the next call that's coming out is my aluminum call because it is a screamer and I like to reach out there and touch them every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, yeah. But yeah, typically if I'm running and gunning, I'm I want to start out quiet with my calling. Yeah, and just in case he's not as far as you think. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah. want to speak to me too loud. Yeah, that's that's really good advice advice right there. And speaking of advice, so when you've been in the woods in the past for many years, what would you say overall the number one biggest factor you've seen to getting wild turkeys in gun range? And maybe weather, it may be a calling technique, anything. What's one of the biggest factors in, in getting a turkey to come into gun range? In my opinion, the number one factor to getting a wild turkey in gun range is to get myself within gun range of that wild turkey. Hmm. And in the process, I'm going to eliminate as many obstacles as I can, if not all of them, between me and that bird. Mm -hmm. So if I can use terrain to my advantage and get 20 yards from a turkey, you better hold on to your hat because I'm going to move on that bird and I'm going to get as close as I can get to that turkey without getting busted. And yes, I will get busted a few times every season, but I kill far more birds than I bust because yeah. of getting too close. And that to me was my number one obstacle in killing turkeys when I started out turkey hunting. But mm -hmm. I didn't, for a lot of years, I just didn't get it. I kept hearing people in the back of my head tell me, turkeys have tremendous eyesight. You have to be careful. You can't move a whole lot. You can't get too close. So that's what I kept playing over and over and over in my head. And there's no telling how many birds that I did not kill simply because I didn't get close enough to them to start with. And yeah. they got they got hung up by a falling over tree or a creek or a fence or whatever it may have been, a hen, whatever it may have been. Mm -hmm. And if I can get closer, most of the time I can eliminate most, if not all, of those obstacles. Yeah, yeah that's very true. Uh, so you just mentioned a hen. That was actually my next question, so I'm going to go ahead and lead into that. All right. How do you personally deal with a hand up turkey? And uh, let's let's assume you just got in the woods, you heard him gobble, you get in there, you're pretty close, you set up, he's gobbling, you're feeling all good, and then all of a sudden you hear that sound you really didn't want to hear, and that some hens are starting to yelping up there in the trees with him. So how do you handle that once you now know this turkey has 5, 10, 15 hens with him? How are you going to handle that situation, calling-wise especially? So when I get there, he's gobbling, and he's still on the roost, and the hens are still on the roost. Yeah, everybody's still on the roost. It's very early, and you know okay. what the situation is at this point, that he has got hens with him. They flew up together, and they're going to come down together. Okay. The one thing that I'm going to force myself to do is not call mm -hmm. while he's on the roost. 
And I will say that that varies depending on where you are. I have friends who hunt in North Carolina. When they hunt with me here in Alabama, it blows them away that I will not make a sound until that gobbler pitches down from the roost and hits the ground. They call to their birds on the roost, and they have success with that. Every time I have ever called to a turkey on the roost in Alabama, that turkey has sat on the limb of that tree for hours, and I have sat there until 10 o'clock some mornings, knowing that that turkey's not flown down. And then you hear him fly down. He flies down, he goes in the other direction, you never hear from him again. Mm-hmm. And so that's the last thing that I'm going to do is call. And I use that same strategy no matter where I'm hunting. I'm letting the hens fly down and walk to the gobbler. Yeah. So and hold on. One, in time, all right, one question real quick. So with is that only if he's hinned up or if he, no matter the situation, you are not calling to that turkey on the roost, regardless no if matter, he has hens or not? No matter the situation. And okay. all right, sorry. You know, I've had some uh, – no, that's a, a great question because I've had some guests on the show. They say that calling to a turkey on the roost works better when that turkey has hens with him. Mm-hmm. But in most places in Alabama, the gobblers are not going to fly down before the hens fly down. So a hen's going to fly down, and she's going to walk towards that gobbler who's still in the tree. When that gobbler sees her, he's going to fly down to her. He is not going to fly down to me because mm-hmm. I am that – I'm using air quotes in a, in a really bad analogy here. I am that bird in the bush. So <laughs> there's no – I just have never had success with it. Um, I won't do it. So I'm not calling to that gobbler whether he's got hens with him or not. If he's got hens with him, they all fly down. Hopefully. I have gotten between where that flock of turkeys wants to go and where they are, mm-hmm. where they roosted. If for some reason I have not, I'm going to rack my brain and try to figure out where it is they're going and try to get there before they do. If I can't figure that out, then I'm going to start picking on that boss hen. The one yeah. that answers me as they start to drift off and starts to get nasty with me saying, where are you? Come over here. We're going this way. And I'm going to give it right back to her and do everything within my power to try to tick her off and get her to come back to see me to fight. And I don't fight fair, but I'm not going to fight her. I just want to bring that gobbler home. I want to put him in the in my vest and let him go for a ride in the truck. And I want to serve him for dinner. So that is what I'm going to do. Typically, you know, that's a an early to mid-season scenario. Mm-hmm. Now, and, I, and I'm not calling that gobbler. I'm not trying to call that gobbler. I'm trying to call that hen in that situation. Yeah, because yeah, he's, he's not going to leave them. Yeah. So later in the season, when the hens are starting to nest, it's a completely different scenario because a lot of times – the hens are still flying up. They're not sitting on the nest full time. They're flying mm-hmm. up at night. A lot of times they will meet up with a gobbler in the woods and they'll all roost together. When they fly down, 
that hen has little to no interest in breeding with that gobbler. And in that mm -hmm. case, I'm going to lay it on him, and I'm calling to that gobbler, and I'm going to, as long as he's going to gobble, then I'm going to talk to him, and I'm not going to talk yeah. sweet. I'm going to talk nasty. I'm going to say some things that will make his mom blush <laughs> and do my part to get him to leave those hens, and he will. He will realize at some point in time that those hens have zero interest in him, but there is one in the bush that does have interest in him, and he will come. So late season hmm. is different than, than early season when it comes to yeah. dealing with hen-up birds, hen-up gobblers. So basically early on you're wanting to call the hens, but later in the season when there still might be hens around, but you're, you're calling the gobbler. You're looking at what right. he's saying, not what the boss hen's saying. Okay. That's, that's exactly really interesting. Right. That's, that's, that's a great concept. I, I've, I've never heard that about the later in the season. I've always dealt with a hen up gobbler the exact same way, trying to call that hen. And it doesn't really work that often, but it works every now and then. And uh, yeah. maybe if you yeah. stick with him long enough, he'll leave him. That's right. Yeah. And and you really, you only need it to work once. Mm-hmm. And then, then it's the greatest strategy ever. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and you can try to call that hen later in the season, but chances are if she's going to go sit on a nest, she doesn't want company, whether it's a hen or a gobbler. Yeah, She's she going to slip off on her own, make sure nobody's watching. She's going to wander around through the woods and leave a scent trail scattered everywhere and slip on over to her nest and she's going to sit down she doesn't need a friend mm -hmm. yeah yeah absolutely that's a that's a very good point and so one other thing before we move on one other thing that i like to do on an early season hunt when that gobbler's hand up is i like to gobble and hmm. imitate another male bird a subordinate bird that's come into that gobbler's territory and is trying to get one of his hens to come to him. And a lot of times, that will pull a gobbler away from a flock of hens and get him to come to you. But it's, Do you do hen calls as well, or are you just gobbling? Do you want to sound like you're just a gobbler, or are you trying to sound like another group? My first strategy with that is to try is to call using hen calls, because mm -hmm. I want to try to get that hen to come into me and bring him yeah. along. And if I can get that whole flock of turkeys to come in, I'm in good shape. Now, not every bird's a fighter. And yeah. not every gobbler who has a flock of hens is the dominant bird. Mm -hmm. So you have to kind of be careful with that gobbling strategy, but it does work. I have had it work numerous times. And so that's another one to kind of stick in your back pocket and try out. Yeah. So that sounds like a uh, actually a great lead-in for the next thing I was going to ask you was the – so in this case, let's assume this turkey doesn't have hens with him. He's out in the woods. He's just hammering at everything you're throwing at him, but he will not come a step closer to you. At least you don't think he has hens. He might. He's mm -hmm. been gobbling all morning long, and he will not come closer to you. What – is your basically your last ditch effort because this happened to me last year my brother and i are hunting it was two gobblers right off the roost i, I thought we're about to double there's just no way they're not going to come they don't have hens 
we saw them come off the roost. I actually saw them strutting out through the woods and they sat out there and gobbled till 1030 in the morning and never came a step closer to us. I don't know if I just sounded that hideous to them or what the problem was, but I mean, they gobbled at every call I threw at them. So I'm, I, what I was wondering is you've done all that. You, what's your last stitch effort that you're going to put out there to try to get that turkey to come to you? Well, I have heard you call, and I'm going to guess that you didn't sound hideous. <laughs> I hope not. I, I think what you ran across was a situation where these two toms were together, and they were where they wanted to be. Mm-hmm. They were where either one or both of them have called in hens. Lord only knows how many times during the course of that mating season and maybe the one or two or three mating seasons before that. Yeah. And they know the program. They know you're supposed to come to them. So what do you do in that situation? Well, my last ditch effort on pretty much any gobbler is to gobble at him. And my experience is that that has one of two effects on the bird. It either brings them running and mad or it runs them off. And Either way, if I've been messing with a bird for about three or four hours, I'm happy with either one of those scenarios. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I am not going to leave that bird if I can help it at all. I have left them gobbling before, and it just, I wake up in August sweating, thinking about the bird that I left gobbling in the woods. I don't like to do it. So Mm -hmm. I will try that. If that doesn't work, then. I'm going to think about where I am, where that turkey is, and where within 100 yards can I get without that bird seeing me, where he would be likely to leave where he is. Again, where he wants to be is where he is. So get him to leave where he wants to be, that spot, and come to a new spot. Yeah. And so I'm going to think about other areas around there that either could be strut zones or I know are strut zones. And I'm going to get in there and I'm going to call and try to get that bird to leave that one strut zone where he is and come to another strut zone. I am a firm Mm -hmm. believer that there are places in the woods where turkeys know that they can meet up and will meet up and do meet up and they know where they can go to see other turkeys and if you can be in one of those spots and try to call that bird to that spot you're going to increase your odds of success yeah awesome yeah that that was very good advice i've never i never thought of it that way of that he may have been in that spot a week earlier and called a group of hens up that's a that's a really interesting thought there and probably very true that that was his zone, and that's why he didn't want to come to me. So that that makes me feel better. That makes me feel like maybe I just didn't sound that horrible to him. No, I, I know that's not what the case was. <laughs> I, I heard hope you not. Call. You you sound a lot better than horrible and hideous. Well, good. Well, that that helps. That's good there. Hopefully, we never did kill those birds, so hopefully they'll be back next year. Now I know how to handle that, and so. Yep. I got a few more things I was going to ask you. The next okay. one is probably one of the most important ones, in my opinion. What is the biggest piece of advice 
that you can give to other turkey hunters, especially new ones? Can I change your question or cheat a little bit and give three pieces of advice? There you go. Right. That That's more bang for your buck right there. That's great. <laughs> that was more than I was asking for. I don't know how I can do better than that. I was hoping you would say yes, because if it was going to be one, I don't know what in the world I would answer. <laughs> Okay, well, let's see the three biggest pieces of advice. All right, so that's good. Number one, know your land that you're hunting on. Mm-hmm. Know it like the back of your hand. Know it like you know your house in the dark. You know where all the pieces of furniture are in your bedroom. And so when you wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, you don't kill yourself tripping over a chair because you know that chair's there and you're going to get around it. Know your woods just as well as you know your own house. That's number one. Number two is no wild turkeys. Study everything you can get your hands on about wild turkeys. And I've said it multiple times. I'll say it one more time just in case somebody listens to this one episode and doesn't listen to another show that I've done. Read Illumination in the Flatwoods. Mm-hmm. Not only is it a great story, but it will tell you volumes about wild turkeys. You'd have to read between the lines and pay attention to what's going on with the turkeys. Pay attention to the story that he's telling about the turkeys, because that's what he's doing is he's telling a story about the turkeys, but you have to figure out, pay attention to what those turkeys are doing when he's telling the story and you will gain a ton of knowledge about wild turkeys by reading that book all right number three i'm going to go a little bit deeper into that same thing know your turkeys know where they like to go when they fly down know where they like to roost know where they like to go midday know where they hang out in the afternoons Know what they're feeding on in the early season, the mid-season, and the late season. You need to know your turkeys. You need to know their habits. You need to know their patterns. You need to know everything that you can possibly know about your wild turkeys. Remember, you asked me that question about a tom on the roost, and I told you that I won't call to a tom that's on the roost, whether he's got hens with him or not. That's because I know my wild turkeys. When you call to them on the roost, they're going to stay there. Again, if you're going to hunt Merriam's, I will bet you a Merriam's turkey could give a rip if you called him on the roost or not. But an eastern wild turkey in southwest Alabama will sit in that tree as long as he can sit in the tree waiting on that hen to show up before he flies down. You have to know your turkeys to kill turkeys. That's my three pieces of advice to especially new turkey hunters, but to all turkey hunters. Yeah. So how do you do all that? How do you do all that? You go spend time in the woods. Mm -hmm. You spend time studying Google Earth. I'm a Google Earth nerd. I'm not going to claim to know that I know everything about Google Earth because I don't. I didn't write the program. I'm sure there are a lot of things that it does that are great that I don't know how to use, I don't know how to do. But you can learn a lot about your land by looking at Google Earth. Study it and get to know it. So I interrupted you. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, number three, what you're saying, you know, knowing your turkeys, that didn't become as relevant to me until this year when I was hunting in Alabama, a whole new ball game of turkeys. You know, I've been hunting in Tennessee, both Easterns, they're, you know, bordering states, but two different it's two different types of turkeys, in my opinion. The Alabama turkeys are very different than the ones I'm hunting back home. I know my turkeys back home, but the ones I was hunting here, I didn't know the land. I didn't know, you know, where they wanted to be and that kind of thing. And that's, I, I really struggled this year in Alabama. So that, that's a great piece of advice right there. And so I'm hoping this next year hunting here, I should be a lot better equipped for it because I've heard them and seen these turkeys and where they've been going at least for one season. So my knowledge has grown a little bit and yeah. that's, it all boils down to getting into the woods all the time, or at least before the season for some amount of time. And during the season, your knowledge bank is going to be growing about your Turkey. That that's, that's just, that advice you just gave is the starting point for every Turkey hunter is how that, that needs to happen. Yeah. I that's, agree. That's great. Absolutely. And elimination of fat woods. that's funny because, I'm sitting, I'm in my room right now, and that's literally the book sitting next to my bed on my bedside table is Elimination of Flatwoods. <laughs> I read in it all the time. Uh, and that was all after your suggestion. And once I started it, I realized you were very correct in that. It is, it's a great book. And you're right, it is a great story. But you also, if you read it like you were saying, you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It, I enjoy reading it as just the story. And so I, I don't know how many times I've read it, but every time that I read it, I pick something up about turkeys that I didn't know. Or that when I read it, I go, oh, that makes complete sense now. And I think back to what happened on a hunt five years ago. And why did that turkey do that? Well, you know, so much of why a turkey does what a turkey does stems from being born i mean you can't you can't give any better explanation than that Mm -hmm. so love the book absolutely love it absolutely yeah that's great well i have two more questions for you and these are a little more not as big of advice questions as they are just kind of storytelling because i love kind of the I'm sitting around the campfire and i want to hear a good story about other people's turkey hunting experiences but the my first one is have you ever done anything that's just really out of the ordinary or strange that worked with turkey hunting and you ended a hunt with a successful turkey hunt by doing something just almost insane in the turkey woods? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you know, I'll say do as I say, not as I do, because yeah. I am I am big into being as safe as we can be in the woods, the woods are not, turkey woods are not an extremely safe place, but we sometimes do things in the heat of battle that we look back on and go, well, that wasn't entirely smart. So anyway, all right, so now that I've told them myself again, here's what I did. One morning, I went out, it's daylight, I heard a bird gobble on the roost two times, and that was it. Nothing after that. And it was mid-season. The birds Mm -hmm. should have been gobbling. At least gobble on the roost, good. Then they fly down, call hens in, they get quiet, and then, 
you know, an hour, two hours later, they start to fire back up. It's that time of season. Well, yeah. not much gobbling going on at all that morning early on the roost. The birds fly down and there's absolutely nothing going on. So I go and I park my rear end in an area where I know there are turkeys and they are there almost all the time at some point during the day. And I'm calling and I'm calling and I'm sitting on the edge of a food plot. And, you know, I'm not blowing the call up. I'm calling sporadically. Well, I look down at the end of the food plot where the road comes into the food plot and there's a gobbler standing at the road and he's looking in that field that I'm sitting in or sitting in the edge of. And he's looking for that hen that he heard calling, but he doesn't see her. I don't have a decoy up. So he leaves and I get up and I walk towards that road where the bird was. I sit down in the edge of the woods where I can see down the road where the turkey walked off and I call and he gobbles. And I think this is just going to be too easy. So I sit there for about 10 minutes and he gobbles again. And he's a little bit closer, maybe 25, 30 yards closer, not a whole lot, but he's, I still can't see him. He's not in range and I'm still sitting there. I'm not calling. I'm waiting on him to show up about, I don't know, 15 more minutes go by. He gobbles again and now he's further away from me. So I get up and I go to where he was when he gobbled the first time and I sit down and I call. And he gobbles, and he's farther away. I call to him again, and he gobbles, and he's turning, and he's coming towards me. So I get ready to shoot. I'm waiting on this turkey to show up, and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and he gobbles. And he's getting closer, and he gobbles, and he's getting closer, and he gobbles, and he's going away from me. <laughs> I'm like, what in the world is this turkey doing? He's by himself. I know he's by himself. Why And I, I am where he just was. Why will he not come back to where he just was? So he gobbles again, and he's further away again. So I get up, and I go to where he was when he gobbled that first time out of that set of gobbles that he did. And I sit down, and I call. He does the same thing. Gobbles, then he starts walking towards me, gobbling. He stops. He gobbles. He turns, and he walks away gobbling, never comes within range. And I said, I think I have figured this game out. I'm not real smart. <laughs> it takes me a few times. So where he was when I heard him gobble last was up on top of a hill, and I knew that he was going to be walking over the top of that hill and down the hill away from me. So I got up, and I walked about. 20 yards closer to him and I called and he gobbled and I took off running straight towards <laughs> where he was and I closed the gap of, of probably 60 yards and I sat down right on the edge of that hill and he walked up 10 yards from me, didn't have a clue in the world what was going on and gobbled and that was the last time he ever gobbled. Wow. So That's a great story. <laughs> he just, he would come towards me and come to a point and stop and then turn around and go away the other direction. And I'd get up and move to where he was and he'd turn and he'd come towards me and he'd stop and gobble and he'd turn and go the other direction. And I'd get up and go where he last was and he'd gobble and do it again. And I thought, he's going to keep doing this until we run out of ground and keep playing this same trick. I've got to do something different. And so I never want 
anybody listening to the show to run with a loaded gun, and I did it that morning. I'm not proud of it, but I did it, and I did kill a turkey because of it. And I, you know, I probably did, and looking back at it, I probably did have time to unload the gun and run to where I wanted to set up, put a shell in it, and quietly close the bolt on the shotgun, but I didn't do it. So I'll take my lashing now. It wasn't smart. It wasn't safe. Try not to do it. That's all I can say. Say what? That's a great story. You definitely uh, figured out the game. It sounds like that's that's interesting. I've never heard of a turkey doing that, but you read him. It sounds like perfectly in order to get that close to him. You know what was really strange? That bird was he had half inch spurs and had about an eight and a half inch nine nine inch beard, something like that. Good. He two year old bird. Yeah. yeah. You know, I would say he's probably a late hatch from the year prior, mm-hmm. but he acted like he was a five-year-old turkey. Yeah, he had it all figured out. And when I shot him, I thought, my gosh, I have just killed a monster. I have just killed the granddaddy of all turkeys. And I get over there, and he's got <laughs> half-inch spurs. I thought, man, I almost got schooled by a kid. <laughs> Oh, it's amazing how smart those birds can be. They are. I have no idea what he was doing, but uh, I don't guess I have to know. Yep. Well, uh, I was going to ask you for one more story, and All right. you can answer with any story you'd like. But I, I, the last thing I was going to ask you is, you know, what maybe is one of your most memorable hunts, if not the most memorable and why is it so significant to you? Like, why does it stand out among all the, the hundred turkeys you've killed? What's one story that really stands out to you? And what contributed to it? God, man, that's a, that is so tough. There are so many great hunts that I have been on. And every one of the turkeys that I've killed provided me with an awesome experience and an awesome story. And... You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't trade any of them. So picking a favorite or memorable out of that whole bunch is pretty tough. I would say probably like most people, the first bird I called in for myself was a special bird because of that fact. But in addition to that, because of the fact that he was on public land. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Yeah. And so... That was a great experience, and and really, that bird is what got me hooked. I'd killed birds before that, but that's the bird that got me hooked on the sport, and I have never been the same since. But, I mean, there's so many of them. There's the Monster Missouri Turkey that I did a show on. I can't remember what episode that is, but that's the one that my buddy John killed when we were all hunting in Missouri for our out-of-state trip. And the bird was, I think, number two in Missouri and number three typical in the U.S., eastern wild turkey. Wow. And that bird gobbled his ever-loving brains out. I, I can't even begin to guess how many times that turkey gobbled. Three 
maybe 400 times, he would gobble until he ran out of breath and still be trying to gobble. Wow. So that was a very memorable hunt. And then, you know, John shoots the turkey and we get up there, or he gets up there before me because he's closer. He's gotten slipped away from me to go after the bird. And he starts hooping and hollering. And he says, you're not going to believe this. We get over there and the dang turkey's got like two and a quarter inch spurs and a 14 <laughs> or 15 inch beard. I, I mean, it's just. Good that, night. Yeah. That added to that hunt being memorable. Then some of these funny hunts that I've been on, the Texas decoy massacre that I, again, <laughs> I was involved with John on that hunt. If I had a video camera, I still don't think you'd believe it if you saw it. It was just hilarious. It is one of the funniest things I've ever experienced in my life. You know, and then there's the hunts where I've helped guys get their first turkey. And to see the excitement on their face and to see, I even saw one of them this past weekend on a dove hunt, a guy named Larry Florence. And Larry is still a turkey hunter and is passing his love of the sport onto his kids and you know to see that that is awesome so mm-hmm. man there's just so many of them it really is hard to pick them out and you know those hunts where i helped these guys get their first bird i didn't squeeze the trigger but i will never yeah. forget those yeah that's a very special moment yeah so uh, i've always enjoyed those and i, I just I'm no different than anybody listening to this show that's turkey hunted for a while, or even if they've just turkey hunted for a few years and they're, you know, have a few birds under their belt. I love everything about the sport. Every one of the turkeys I've killed has and will always be a great memory for me. And I enjoy sharing those memories with my hunting buddies. And so that's really what it's all about for me. Absolutely. Well, well, that's all I have to ask you. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Cameron, I have just looked at the timer on this conversation. (laughs) And I am the longest winded person that has ever been interviewed on this show. So I may well, not you, have won the rapid-fire Q&A, but I won the staying power contest. Absolutely. There you go. That's more important <laughs> right there. <laughs> I don't know. There's no telling how many people I've lost in this long interview. But, you know, I appreciate you having the initiative to come up with the idea for the show and following through with that. You know, I don't know if, the show's helped anyone. I hope that it has. I hope my experiences, not just the ones shared on this show, but the ones shared on all the other episodes have been worth the people's time that they've taken to listen to the show. I respect their time and I appreciate their time. And I I say this and I stole it from a radio host. But the reason that I stole it from a radio host is because I feel the same way. And when I close out every show and I say, thanks so much for tuning in. I know you have choices and I appreciate you spending your time with us. That is stolen from Colin Cowherd. And 
I'm not afraid to steal something from somebody like that when it's got good meaning to me. And so, you know, I appreciate everybody listening to the show for the past hundred episodes. And I look forward to doing the next hundred for you guys and hopefully can provide some more content that we can all learn from and share some more experiences that I hope will keep you entertained as well. And, and I will close with this. I appreciate your help. You know, you've been helping me now for about, was it been eight months or so? Yep. That sounds about right. And I am very grateful for your help. It takes a load off of me and it gives me the opportunity to do many other things like work or even clock out from work. And I am appreciative of what you do. And I look forward to killing a bird with you this coming spring. We're going to make that happen. Me too. I want to kill a big Alabama gobbler. That's the goal I have before I leave Alabama to move back to Tennessee. Well, I hope that I'm the one that calls that big bird in for you. So (laughs) I did too. Well, Mr. Andy, it's been great, and I think everybody should definitely, if you, they turned in for that whole episode right there, they, they should have learned something. I know I did, and I've learned a lot by working with this podcast, so I thank you for having me on to it. And I wanted to end this episode with a quote that I don't know, I don't know if anybody else will like it, but it's one of my favorite quotes from Tom Kelly, uh, one of the best turkey hunting authors, in my opinion, book-wise. And it says, the first turkey that ever came to me on the ground did it a long time ago. I sat there with my hands shaking and my breath short and my heart hammering so hard I could not understand why he could not hear it. The last turkey that came to me last spring had exactly the same effect. And the day this does not happen to me is the day that I quit. And that's that's how I feel about it. And I think that's how everybody should feel about turkey hunting, in my opinion. Yeah, I have a feeling everybody listening to this show feels that way. I do too, especially the the people who tune in every week. You can see that we get a lot of views on the actual day the show airs on Thursdays, and I really appreciate those people listening in because I know you do a lot of hard work for this show, and I put in some effort too, and really makes it worth it to see that we're hopefully helping some people out. You know, I can't say it any better than that, so I'm done. Awesome. <laughs> well, I think, we, I think we've said enough, to be honest. <laughs> Good deal. Cameron, thank you for your efforts. I really do appreciate you. Thank you guys for listening this week. Again, I know you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I look forward to seeing you again for episode 101 next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.